Good morning from the Dolomites. What a day it's going to be. The sun is gradually coming out. It's rained heavily overnight. Um, but the rain has cleared now. And the clouds are lifting. And all around the Dolomites with their jagged peaks are honing into view. It's going to be a spectacle today. And I'm just walking down to Val di Zoldo. Looking forward to stage 18. Right, well, opposite me is a, a huge rotating kebab situation with uh, 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 flames licking at um, meat that almost defies description. I can't work out what animal it is. Uh, yeah, you're right, I've been sat here a while um, to do my prep, or you did your prep somewhere else, because there was a bit of, let, let's be honest with you, car park confusion, which threw us into a bit of a tizzy, a mini tizzy, atop this beautiful mountain. But yes, it's... I, I don't know, I might go up and have a sniff, because normally when a barbecue um, smoke wafts towards you, you can discern by virtue of our, of our noses, what, whether it's chicken, whether it's maybe pork, maybe lamb, steak, but I just don't know, it, it's difficult to say from here, it's just, you, you're looking at it and you're frowning, squinting, and it's just meat, I've already, isn't it? I've already been up and looked at it up close, oh. and I'm not, I'm no, I'm no, I think it's just, I think we're just going to have to say it's animal, yeah, it's okay. animal based. Yeah. You know, unlike, the, unlike we were talking yesterday, weren't we, about um, uh, plant-based. Uh, it's definitely yeah, not a substitute grapes yeah. and plant, yeah, and the t technology involved in that. But no, um, so we're here at the top, we're here at the finish line in Val di Zoldo. And I tell you what, that last little climb, that doesn't look like too much on the, um, on the, on the um, road book, actually, is quite tough, isn't it? Just through the, we reckon Joao Almeida will attack, inspired by the 1900 metres to go pants sign, because he's heavily... Um, uh, kind of associated with that particular brand, isn't he, on this uh, on this edition of the Giro? And that'll be his trigger to go, I think. Yeah, I mean, imagine if that, the, uh, the, there's, there's two opportunities, Salvo 1, uh, Inti, Missy, Uomo, uh, 900 metres to go, and Salvo 2, 400 metres later, because they've doubled up with the sponsorship, haven't they? 1,500 metres and 1,900, and 1900 yeah, metres. Yeah. But yeah, in all seriousness, that last... It, there's a lot of stuff densely packed. I know we're going into, veering into punditry mode, but it's worth saying, because this could be an exceptionally decisive stage. That first cat climb, um, with only 25 k's to go, is super, super steep. It's like this it's a wall of 10% for a couple of k's. Mm. Drop off that, straight into a sprint, a couple of seconds on offer, Yeah. you know, and then that little double header, um, which, again... The Koi, the Koi pass. The Koi. Yeah, the There's been some funny names, and let's yeah. be honest, quite some funny names. Yeah. Down the road. Quite some funny names. Quite some. Oh, I see. Yeah. Some funny names of places as we pass through in this in yeah. this Val d'Isoldo region. It's all called Val d'Isoldo, but each one's got a name within yeah. the Val d'Isoldo place. What, one of the little hamlets, and it's no more than the hamlet. It's called Fop al Fop. Fop al Fop. Yeah. There was another one that was even. F oh, don't, no. don't 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 don't. Well, there's two different languages <laughs> here in play. Yeah. No, there's Italian and um. I, I actually don't. Is it, is it, I don't know what the other languages are. I have to find that out. It, it's, it's slightly Germanic. It's not Austrian, is it? A little bit. It's it's not Ladin because that's no, over that's, somewhere else. Yeah. That's. No, are you sure it's not Ladin? No, no, I'm not totally sure. We'll no, have to do a bit not, of research. Yeah, I'm afraid it's, it's just caught up with us a little bit because um it's quite. A, we had quite a um. Oh. Yeah, we had quite an experience getting here from... I mean, it's mad to think, yesterday, we woke up in the sort of sunshine of the Adriatic coast, just north of Venice, and here we are in the Dolomites again. <laughs> but to get 
to get from the finish line is roasting hot. You know, that bunch sprint finish yesterday between uh, Milan and, and Albanese, and all of a sudden, it's like we're in a different country and in a different race, which effectively we are. Yeah. Um, but to make that transition late last night was quite traumatic in terms of the journey, wasn't it, Matt? I don't know why, but RCS is um, the organisation for whom we're working and for whom we have a great deal of respect and affection. Yeah, totally. um, and they, do, they put on a wonderful race. But there are certain glitches in the matrix occasionally, and I think we're encountering one at the moment. And this relates staggeringly to the hotel booking system, which appears to be buffering. It's like trying to stream. Yeah, it's not loading properly. It's like to, it's trying to stream a, a, a video, and you get right to the end, and your internet speed slows down, and so you're constantly just when you're close to the finishing line and the denouement of the whole story, the hotel booking system is buffering. But. But the end game is is quite different than just missing the end of a race. It's like we've got nowhere to sleep and it's raining in the mountains. That was a so, prospect so, last night. Yeah, that was a so, definite prospect. And, and that was what it felt like because you wrapped up the, the, the last portion of the pod heading into the mountains, the contrast, the, the mountains looming in the background with the, the sun starting to set over quite a dramatic backdrop. And all seemed good. We got to our hotel. We keyed in our hotel. Keyed Details, in our hotel. Yeah, it wasn't it, too far away. It was fine. Key, uh, turned up, uh, unloaded unloaded the bags, went to reception, hauled them, uh, and uh, yeah, quite substantial suitcases, three weeks on the road, quite heavy, into reception, up some steps, and bear in mind, we're in our early 50s. Um, went, went to reception, went to reception, tried to check in, and we couldn't. And, and the, the lady behind the desk was lovely. Um, but we don't speak but much Italian, she didn't speak any English. It's a lot of sign language At involved. one point I got excited because she does, because in the Dolomite, you know, obviously there's a lot of German speaking up here and she, yes. she tried to address the whole issue of yeah. our non, non, in German. I stepped back and handed over to you at that point, but it was brief. Wie viele Zimmer wollen Sie? And I went, okay, brilliant, we can communicate in German. And then her German buffered. Um, so we couldn't get any further in German. So then you start to clench. French, a little bit of French. Yeah, uh, I've had a you bit just, of French. You were so keen to communicate and settle this issue because it, our, cl- our names clearly weren't on the list. Yeah, that you just went. Uh, Je peux regarder la liste. It was, just, <laughs> it just, it was just, throwing everything it was chaos, at it, it, really. Chaos. Um, and eventually, we managed to put her onto the phone of uh, uh, Andrea Basso, who's the kind of head honcho. It seems to be doing everything, to be honest with you, yeah. from organising the time trial route to sorting out my hotel at Stansted Airport. And, and, and he directed the TV coverage of yeah. the team presentation as yeah, well. Yeah, everything. He's yeah. a busy, busy man. He was driving. Anyway, he got on the phone um, and subsequent to that conversation, which we understood very little of, apart from the word albergo somewhere else, um, we were handed a pamphlet by this lady um, to a Catholic retreat in the hills somewhere else. Half an hour's drive up. Half an hour's drive, 35 minutes drive, which... By now it's dark. So we thought, okay, so we went back to the car, but then we were like, oh, is this just somewhere we're being sent in the off chance there might be rooms. So that in turn created quite a lot of stress, didn't it? And we headed up into the mountains, it started to rain, didn't it? It was dark. Um, and we were just very unsure um, where we, uh, if this, this place would have any have any rooms for us. So we pulled up and I hand over to you. Yeah, well, you we, got, we got there and the, the chap there kind of was expecting us, but there was no, none of the, A, it wasn't a hotel, it was a refuge, a place for uh, retreat, prayer, contemplation, contemplation yep. and, um, and communing with God. Literally, yeah. that's what it said on the, um, so it's very austere, yeah. uh, very beautiful. In, well, the location was not so much the building, um, but the, the chap there, he did have a load of keys, but none of the normal formalities of checking in in Italy it's involves- a legal requirement, a totally legal requirement. documenti, per favore. So you normally hand pass your, Documents, they take the details. As you say, legal requirements, just none of that. It's just a room kit, not even a name. So no. I was just handed we room. Just people. I was given room one, and you were given room six. six. Yeah. And then there we were. We were kind of in. 
the rest of our colleagues were heading up the mountains so several hours later and that's a whole different story they ended up not that's having another, to share rooms it's another stuff short film uh, <laughs> or podcast um, series but we actually had quite a nice dinner just yeah. around the corner um, uh, with a, in a very loud restaurant with a um, uh, yeah with a patron the guy chef the head chef the owner we think of the entire gaff who every five minutes kept going back to the beer tap and topping himself up so that was quite good he was quite uh, schnozzled if that's a word uh, by the time that, that we, we, we closed well, you, you left a little bit early so you could edit the pod I and get, and get it uploaded using using 1G yeah. 2G uh, yeah, occasionally. I think you might have been using edge technology yeah, uh, but it got it dribbled up, it dribbled yeah. up, up, up online uh, we got there in the end but then we were both sort of like setting in for the night hoping that our colleagues were going to be alright doing what we could to help them and all of a sudden it all kicked off in the lobby it was a proper kerfuffle but it made it worse because and this is a, 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 even more important I think just to add a bit of texture everywhere was tiled and so any the smallest sound was amplified so it's quite a thick wooden door to our room but I could hear everything you know every single uh, thing that was said I could hear and there was and also there was the scuffling of feet I thought there was going to be some fisticuffs at some point so I just I, all I did was double down and lock my door but you stepped out into the fray didn't you well, I thought the kerfuffle was the elderly retired carabinieri <laughs> who were coming back from the restaurant uh, a little bit tipsy just just being a bit too loud in the lobby so I was yeah. going to I was quite yeah. prepared to walk up I, I did put my trousers on I wasn't in my pants or anything. I, was, no. I was quite to, to shush them to shush them yeah. uh, but I walked, I, I walked into the lobby and I realised it was actually the kerfuffle was quite serious and I don't know there's a whole bunch of guys who really did, seemingly didn't have rooms um, so I just I retreated and thought I'd, I'm just staying out of this free, it was a key for all wasn't it a free for all there was a, just a certain amount of rooms um, but you're right about the tile thing it was like the entire arch- when you get a, an entire building that's just tiled tiled walls tiled swords tiled floors tiled hallways tiled everything in every room, regardless of how far away the room is, you can hear a light switch going on, yep. let alone a toilet flushing. Key turning in the door like, in a com- completely separate corridor. Italy, uh, Italy just needs to... I think it just needs to calm down with the tiles everywhere. Yeah, or at least, yeah, just think about... Yeah, just... Well, quite a lot of hotels are well carpeted, generally in a deep shade of red um, from the late 70s, which is great, but it, it gives... It, it muffles that sound. It gives you a bit more privacy, doesn't it? You embrace the Russian tradition of actually carpeting the walls as well. You often get in Russian apartments. That's quite nice, isn't it? So, yeah. Add a certain Gemütlichkeit, to use a German word. Do you remember cork tiles in the late 70s, early 80s? Oh, yes. We had that in our know, kitchen. My mum went mad. Well, no, she didn't literally go mad, but she just was over-keen. So she t- cork tile the entire kitchen and then put some like varnish over the top to make them shiny yeah. and white yeah. clean. We had some spare. So what she did, she covered our fridge freezer in cork tiles as well. So we had a cork tiles chest freezer. Looked like an enormous coffin. We had a big kitchen. The sides or just the top? The top and the sides, Ned. So it's like a cork box, a cold cork box. Yeah, and um, within that, um, we had a big, big garden and then there was lots of uh, raspberries, uh, blackberries, runner beans and, and apple stewed. Mum used to freeze for apple pies and stuff like that. Oh, that but it sounds idyllic. It was brilliant. It's brilliant. And my dad had a little allotment. It's an enormous garden with a little apple orchard with nine nine little. Uh, Did you grow up in the good life? In 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 where were we? In Bushy. Yes. Yeah, in Leafy Bushy. It was a bit good life, wasn't it? Kind of a little bit. It was kind of nice, semi-detached house and that sort of post post Second World War. Big garden running parallel to an alleyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, my point was, within the freezer, as, as, as well as all the other things, and fish fingers, of course, potato, bird's eye potato waffles, smiley faces, all the stuff that entertained you as a kid for tea, uh, ch- uh, chicken dinosaurs, was our pack, m- mine and my sister's packed lunch for the, a month. My mum used to prepare, Natasha's my name and my sister, our packed lunch. She used to make the sandwiches, Ned, fish paste, 
uh, beef spread, marmite and cheese, sometimes randomly just jam, um, but deep freeze them. So we should take them out every day, then they were done for a month. Take them out, and, and sometimes, if, it, if they hadn't quite defrosted at lunchtime... Icy crunch to them. An icy crunch to them. But we... That's, we no, that's no bad thing. No, look at them, I'm still alive. But they're just... <laughs> only just. Well, only just. With the amount of illnesses I seem to have had over the last four weeks, maybe those packed lunches, those frozen sandwiches are catching up on me. But, uh, yeah... Oh, we keep going back to our childhoods, don't we? But it's amazing how... That's what happens in it, like, later on in life, doesn't it? Yeah. But I, I a lot of telescopes back to your childhood, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, cork tiles. We were tiles. talking in commentary yesterday, because we had an awful lot of time to fill. We, were, we actually got quite serious. It's a subject I quite like addressing, actually. We were talking about the, the bicycle mm. and the way that the act of riding a bike is, um, and learning to ride a bike as a child is incredibly significant and actually quite universal. I mean, there are people who are unfortunate enough for, for a variety of reasons never to be introduced to the bike, but, but in, in the UK, at least, most people learn to ride a bike, I think, um, the vast majority, certainly of our generation. And, uh, but, and that moment where, where, you, uh, where you first ride a bike uh, without assistance and you become aware that you've just done it is a memory and there are very few memories that we can all share, but it's a memory, I think, if we think back, or you ask around your friendship group, I think almost everyone can remember that moment. And it's really yours, isn't it? It's very much so. so. no, Tell me about yours, and I'll tell you about mine, briefly. Uh, it was on the, where we used to live in a little village in Hampshire, briefly, um, before we moved to Bedford, and there was a little park opposite our house, and my dad had taken me over there to learn to ride a bike, and he, was, he, never, put, he never put stabilizers on my bike, but he used to hold the saddle and run along behind me, and um, uh, after about sort of half an hour of trying, I suddenly became aware that he wasn't behind me anymore and of course you have that brief moment where you go oh my god and you, you, you do that and of course you f- then you fall flat on your bum don't yeah. you sort of like because you're so shocked but I do remember it very clearly and I can't have been more than about five it's one of my earliest memories literally um, yeah I, this was one of my earliest memories I, I guess I think I was similar age Ned four or five something like that and I had been riding on the bike with stabilisers but my dad said right today it was a Sunday and um, we used to live in a block of flats in Finchley um, and uh, they were quite um, only about four stories high deco style flats but there was a, 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 um, a service road that ran around the entire building I can imagine I can picture yeah, it and with the bins at the back and there was quite yeah. a big space at the back to play and there were some swings for the people who lived at the flats um, so great for riding a bike not on the road um, stabilisers off and my dad did the same thing he was pushing me along and, and then he let go and I, I remember and I, and I remember it and it was a hot day yeah, it's 1975, 1974, and I, I remember it vividly, and I can even remember the fact that there's one time, there's a big bush, and I still have a scar somewhere, and I can't remember where it is, where I veered, it's on my side, I veered into a bush, and a big hawthorn took a chunk out of my side during that session, and I still have the scar now, and it bled profusely. Uh, but, yeah, I can remember it perfectly, Ned. It's um, one of the clearest memories of my childhood, uh, up to the age of 10 even, I think. And I genuinely think that you know a, a psychologist, and I'm sure some of our listeners might be psychologists, or, yeah, would, would 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 be able to sort of mount a case of why that's so important. Because I think it's to do with separation, and I think it's a, I think it's it's an incredibly important moment in your sort of like your journey towards uh, independence. And um, yeah, I think it's a seminal moment. Yeah, and just to go beyond that a little bit, we talked about the how liberating and how freeing the bike is, and how, not not just how much fun it is and the freedom you get as a kid, but an important tool um, for people in who live in areas where they otherwise they, they need to walk or they need to get water or to, to get education or, or work and, and, and how simple it is and, and I and I know you've been as well, I'm sure you've been as well I went to 
South Africa with Zwift, the Zwift Academy, and we went to, with Dimension Data and their charity sponsor was Quebec. Mm. And one of the, the days was spent on an afternoon in, in one of the townships giving the bikes mm. to school children. Uh, and I was tasked with that as well, which was a powerful moment. And, and the lad that I gave the bike to had never ridden a bike before. And I was there to teach him how to ride a bike, and he did it very, very quickly. But um, what a moment that was mm. to see this young man yeah. dressed in his school uniform with his satchel on, mm. giving this bike, put his helmet on, um, and there was a lock with the bikes so with a kit to, to keep him going, some oil, so, you know. And um, I ran along in this field, there was a few wobbles, he laid it down a couple of times, and eventually I got him going, and um, just the shrieks of joy. And one or two kids were crying. This lad didn't cry, he just looked, I, I wept. When yeah. I saw this lad well, I making that. me kind of choke up now, but it's it's no, that's it's just the power of the bike, mate. In, in, yeah. To simplify it, into that the first moment when you can suddenly you've got wow, I can I can now travel, I can I'm I'm, I'm free. While we're on the subject of kids, um, we you know we made our way through up the race route today, and uh, uh, I think what's the pl- what's the second sprint called? It's um you've written it down. Forno di Zoldo, just outside Forno di Zoldo, there was some um, there was a banner that had obviously been drawn hand drawn by some kids. And um, it was, I'd said probably seven or eight year old kids had done the artwork. That's right, yeah. But dropping back a few years, like four or five year old kids, why? There's that other thing about kids that they always draw uh, arms coming out the side of your head, don't they? And, feet. and that's universal. Yeah, and, and feet. Coming straight Le- out the chin. Well, legs without knees. Yeah. And just like a, a, a just flat fleet. So, yeah. yeah, I mean. So we discussed that a bit in the car, and then you said. We were quite critical, said, weren't we? We were quite critical, and you said, um, I think someone should have a word. With, with the kids of the world. Yeah. I don't know who that would be. Uh, but maybe just governments coming together really and then starting at grassroots and just teaching kids how to blimmin' draw properly because it's, yeah. it's disappointing, it's a, it's a good effort but ultimately inherently flawed. Ciao once more, here we go then folks. Today is the first in the triptych of GC days in the Dolomites which will ultimately decide the fate of the Maglia Rosa. Stage 18 finishes in a double salvo of Category 2 climbs in the woods of Val di Zoldo, which offer up numerous opportunities for the strongest riders to put their rivals under pressure and potentially out of race contention. Today, Geraint Thomas on the wheel of Primoz Roglic. Is he going to try and make a point? The Slovenian resurgence today, another powerful, powerful climb from Primoz Roglic who is fighting, scrapping for this Giro d'Italia. Geraint Thomas though, on his birthday, unshakable. Listen, this is the sound, this is the sound of the top of the Paso Giao. Faint disco music, that's Faint it. disco music. Several discos we passed on the way up. Um, 29 corners, the Paso Jao takes us up pretty high. It's one of the big climbs on stage 19 of the Giro. Ned, never been up here. I've been up here in the past, but I've not ever stopped here. It's still, there's not a breath of wind. Just... The sun is high in the sky still, although it's in the evening, and we've got this view that the likes of which, it's it actually, it, even though we've got a beautiful language, I don't think you can ever convey it unless you see it properly. Um, Absolutely stunning. Just right directly in front of us, there's these peaks. How high do you reckon they are, Ned? They've got, well, to, be they've got to be tw- twice the height that we're yeah. at now. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're no roads th- go over there. Roughly 2,000 metres in the passage. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit yeah. north of that, maybe. That's that's twice the height. That's just yeah. uh, an enormous peak. 
And, and yeah, we're looking towards where the sun's going to set. We're looking towards Slovenia. We're looking towards Roglic land. Yes. Uh, drop down there and like just endlessly disappearing further and further behind the uh, tens of kilometers of peaks. And then to our right, the, 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 the kind of like, what's it like? It's like, a, it's like the top. It's like a giant, is it limestone? I don't know what stone it is. I'll be honest with you. It looks like limestone. But what the best... It's like, it, it's like a flake. Like yeah. a massive flake that's just stuck, in the, stuck the in the top of the mountain. And actually, it's even more so because we're actually in the snow, just under our feet now. Just do the sound of the snow, shall we? That's snow. That's the sound of snow. Um, so, yeah, it's like we're in a big ice cream and there's a big bit of limestone flake that's been stuck in the top. And we're, and what, we're like the hundreds and thousands. Or there's only two of us. But I'm glad. Well, it was kind of accidental. This is accidental tourism, isn't it? Because yeah. actually, we're just trying to get to our hotel that's relatively close to the finish line in uh, Val di Zoldo. Um, but to get there, we have to go, go around the houses and up and over the Paso Giao to get there. So this is one of the many climbs they're going to take on tomorrow before they finish in the Tre Cime, um, which is just going to be stunning as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, but yeah. Uh, a worthy what? detour. A yeah, worthy detour, yeah. Ned. And, um, yeah. You've gone very quiet. Yeah, I was just listening to what song that was. <laughs> we went past several discos on yeah. the way up, but no, it's absolutely it's, it's mind blowing. And thankfully, we've actually taken a couple of photos as well, which I'm sure yeah. Ned will post. But yeah, yeah. You, if you ever get the chance, um, whether it's with a bike or not, it get yourself be up many there. times it's ever it's, this still. No, it, there's it's, not a breath of wind. It's, it's amazing. amazing. You can almost hear a pin drop or a yeah. disco three kilometres away. Yeah. <laughs> um, the slight detail that I omitted uh, from the. Um, commentary and it's in the grand scheme of things i just forgot to press record but it is a, a, a small detail um Filippo Zana won the stage ahead of uh, Thibaut yes. Pino and then i managed to i forgot to record that bit of commentary i could recreate it Zana Zana oh he gets out and Thibaut Pino's disappointed again to finish second that was that bit but then i managed to press record as you heard for the um for the bit of uh, the gc action uh, so you know thomas and roglic and all that sort of thing yeah, we could talk about should we get going can i pass yeah. you the pod machine yeah, you, you can pass me the live machine because we're not quite at the top yet I just here's another cyclist we're at a place called the uh, dolomiti p jiao which is basically paso jiao oh, i've just got to put my phone back do you want to just plug yeah. it in the end there yeah because that's got the sat- satellite the navigation isn't yeah. it so uh, I've got my refreshment as well. I've uh, just put it on the leaflet of the um, refuge, the uh, oh, yeah. prayer refuge that we were staying in last night. That we, well, we've already spoken about that, haven't we? It's, it seems like a world away, though, doesn't it? That's yeah. the thing. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's away now. Pulling away. Mirror signal manoeuvre. And also, a, a key aspect of pulling away safely and smoothly um, isn't so we not just spill the drinks, it's because we're running low on fuel, um, which could be, it could be interesting. But I'm sure, I reckon, if we. Oh, what's happened there? Oh, it's because of that. Hold on. It's that. That's it. But it's it's just hold just on. Stop. Yeah. Okay. Just pull over again. Just pull over again. Sorry. Oh. Oh, oh no. I might have to. Oh yeah. Hold on. Yeah. It's it's just. This is genuinely. We have just crested the top. We're now looking over the other side. Yeah. Yeah. The part two. Oh. Oh no. <laughs> Ned, seriously, that is absolutely insane. Yeah. Right. I'll keep. Should we keep the pod going? Keep, keep the pod going. Just do a bit more photography. Right. Hold on. Right, just getting out of the car. San Vito di Cadore, San Vito. Ned's wandered off. I'm um, just going to cross. This is absolutely amazing. It's, it's, a, it's like nothing else you'll ever see anywhere in the world. Even. Uh, wow. Selfie. Yeah, not, yeah. As well. yeah. a selfie of us. Oh, get that van out of the way. There we go. 
Yeah. Uh, astonishing. So we're now looking the other side of the valley. So we're right at the top of the Paso. West. We're looking south. Yeah, we're looking south. We're, so somewhere. Yeah. It's just, but because the sun's kind of behind us now. So southeast. We're looking. It's all right. Yeah, we're looking kind of so oh, west. That's west. No, no. So, so west, west. That's north. We're looking north. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking north. Yeah. Um, and so that somewhere over there, the Dolomites end and the Alps begin and just goes on and it's endless. And we can see for quite literally miles it feels like we're on top of the world and I've, I've had the privilege to be up to have been up here a lot in the past I've never been here on such a clear day at this time of day either uh, it's absolutely mind-blowing Ned I'm going to just take a quick photo do you want to just grab the pottery yeah I'll just take a photo myself okay um, that's okay um, we'll pick it up back in the car I'm just going to press yeah, pause yeah. briefly yeah back in the car right Okay. Um, lots of people essentially doing the same thing. We just met Bruno and Gunter, <laughs> uh, our two good Belgian friends actually, who uh, run the production and expertly direct the coverage of the Giro d'Italia, who are actually really, really quite nice blokes um, and very good at what they do. And, and they're doing exactly the same thing as us. And also Matthias, one of the EVS operators as well. Well, Gunter, uh, I mean, to give some context, Gunter is the director. You know, you've been, if you've been watching the Giro d'Italia, you've been mm. watching Gunter's work. You know, for the last three weeks, he's he's a guy who chooses where the helicopters goes, where the motos go, where to, when to cut, do what he does. He runs the whole show, um, and yeah, uh, they're lovely people. Really. And also gives us little nuggets of of um, expert, well not expert, but in, interesting information about the fact that Lawrence Rex's brother is called Tim, Timo, or Timo Rex because uh, they wanted him to be called T Rex. So just details like that. Um, we can just starting our descent now. Of um, the Paso Jao, and it's um, it's just utter splendour that we're surrounded by. Yeah. Um, it, it really, really is. Who's going to win the Giro d'Italia? For me, it's one of two riders now. It's very easy. Um, um, I'm not going to put my neck on the line for fear of actually Don't. screwing it up for anybody. So, do you think, think Almeida think that's it? Do you think? Do you? Is that what you're implying? Yeah, I just think well, it's difficult because that. Everybody, I guess, when you look back at entitled a bit of a bad day, mm. um, and Geraint hasn't really had one, but hasn't looked like even near having one. No. Um, so, yeah, and it, when interviewed at the end of the race, and it was just day by day, it's just his the, the, the words that resonated with me the most, or the sentence that resonated the most was, I've just got to stay consistent, and that's exactly it, isn't it? But also, I've got to be, consi- not just consistent, I've got to be consistently the best. Mm. And that's what he's done so far. Mm. I think, the, yeah, Jumbo Visma were kind of the winners. To, I mean, Thomas was clearly, it was a good day for Jumbo Visma as well. I thought as a team, yeah, Sepp Kusted delivered Roglic. It was a bit of a Enormously. Um, yeah, and I thought they were they rode with a degree of confidence and possibly tactical flair as well, um, if the little bluff theory holds. Shall I expand on the bluff theory? Yeah, but you came out with a theory, didn't you? Because they're riding, they're a little bit, that's fair to say, wouldn't say disorganised, slightly, slightly ragged, and then and then you drilled down into that and brought something to the surface to potentially explain it, and uh, and you're about to explain it again now. <laughs> well, this is the thing, we, you know, none of you hear our World Food commentary, so we expanded it a little bit in oh, commentary. Totally. But, um, so what happened on the first Cat 1 climb of the day is that Roglic was... I was going to say uncharacteristically, but in this Giro, I'm going to say characteristically, slightly out of position. So he was quite far down the line. And noticing that, uh, Ineos Grenadiers put Arendsman and De Plus on the front and um, briefly kind of shredded the race a little bit. Um, and, and that all came back together again, and, and, and there was no 
lasting damage to Jumbo Visma. But, you know, the suspicion was there that they could do a repeat of the kind of put Roglic under pressure thing. Then in the middle of the race, or towards the back end of the race, there was another Cat 1 climb, and Roglic was in the same position again. Now, why would he be in the same position again? Uh, out of carelessness, if he was on a warning that um, that's what happened the first time around. And sure enough, uh, Ineos Grenadiers tried the same thing. But this time, Roglic, uh, piloted by Rowan Dennis and Sepp Kuss, just moved up on the right-hand side and uh, restored his position towards the front. But Ineos Grenadiers persisted with that tactic, uh, even though it wasn't actually affecting Roglic or his key lieutenants at that point, for quite a while. Um, and you could argue that they expended a little bit... I mean, ultimately, Thomas is so strong it didn't matter. But they ex- they, they extracted a little bit too much out of Arnensman and De Plus, particularly De Plus at that point, um, unnecessarily. And I wondered whether that wasn't just a very, very clever flex and tactic from Roglic to tease Ineos Grenadiers, a bluff, to tease Ineos Grenadiers into doing just that. What was quite strange about it is in the, in the, in the final shakedown, it actually looked as if the victim of that tactic of Ineos Grenadiers ultimately was Almeida and UAE Team Emirates. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that little bluffy, bluffery? It's not impossible, is it? Because Roglic was clearly on a great day today and he would have felt good at that point there was no you know there was it didn't yeah I I think something similar I think uh, it could be bluffing um, or also something slightly simpler um, which we all no 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 which we all do from time to time just lulling people into a false sense of security oh there are odds and that is a sort of bluff it's like forget about me for a bit just I'm just going to drop back and start start the process of th- overthinking a situation that doesn't exist because you are bluffing and just let them overthink this yeah. drift back let's not let's do th- let's let's sow the seed of doubt in their mind that makes them a little bit overconfident I, I think that's that's something clearly what happened because they're riding in quite I mean it was one of the big topics while that tempo was being set one of the, the themes apart from just talking about the riders were getting dropped every time we went back to the front discussing the composition of the breakaway who looks strong etc the battle for the mountains points it was the the relative disorganization even we were begging the question what's going on there and then you came to that conclusion when you do reflect back on it clearly Roglic was absolutely fine and 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 Kuss drifted up to the front when they needed to and just tore that group, group apart and then Almeida couldn't follow that said as fine as Roglic is whichever way you cut it this is not vintage Roglic. It's no. not. It's not Roglic at his very, very best of a couple of years ago. Maybe no. it's not because you know when he went on those steep climbs, Thomas, uh, with ease, uh, managed to you know was never really put in, in, in under danger. And Sepp Kuss actually came back to Roglic relatively straightforwardly and then yeah, got I on the front again. And normally when Roglic goes, he's gone. He's gone. Especially that deep into the race, we only had one. When that final climb was was over very very quickly that the final 1.8 kilometer climb before that little drop into the finish but yeah i think that was and we did pick on both picked up on that later it was sepkus went clear did his job swung over roglitz goes normally he either takes somebody with him or he, he just continues going at that tempo and he's able to sustain but what he didn't he faded uh, and kus was back in the game and having to pick up the pace again so it's good Roglic it's not vintage Roglic but it's what Roglic. we are it's Roglic but it's what Roglic. we are seeing is, is is 
vintage, I mean, it's 36 years, 37? Yeah. 37 years of age, Geraint Thomas. Um, are we seeing the best ever Geraint Thomas? Or... It's Vormus. Yeah, it's yeah, vintage v- Thomas, Vormus. V- v- I quite like that. Groglitch, Groglitch and Vormus. Um, what we call um, Almeida then? Wow. A little bit flaky today. Flamida. I don't know. I hope he comes back. I mean, so do I. I'm loving this. I'm loving this battle between the three of them. It's still unpredictable, and Almeida was scintilla- has been scintillating up until, yeah, as you say, one bad day potentially. One bad. Day. Thank goodness for for him, for Jay Vine. I mean, they, they talk about the importance of teammates. Sepp Kuss, of course, today uh, for Primoz Roglic, Jay Vine. I think he's semi saved the day. If it hadn't been for Vine being there, um, he would. I think he would have lost a little bit more time because there was moments when when Vine was actually dropping Almeida on the steep sections. So that's it, isn't it? So Roglic has had un jour sans rescued to some extent by Sepp Kuss yep. Almeida's had un jour sans rescued by Jay Vine and that's the difference Thomas who's of the, the, the of the two has the weaker team depleted resources you know they've number, numerous withdrawals nothing I'm not, it's not criticism of the no, around when it's all they're looking great sorts, yeah. but um, he's not had un jour sans he's not been dropped he's not been no one's managed to drop Garen Thomas yet 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 and we, tomorrow's a brute yeah and, and um, that's not been a moment again without wanting to sound sort of overconfident on his behalf or taking anybody's sides but what I haven't seen is any sign of weakness like actually he really did take his time getting himself back onto the wheel there there's none of that it, it just looks solid and again you said it yesterday he looks absolutely rock solid as rock solid as the granite at the top of the climb today yeah as rock solid as that performance that I was reminded of just because we, we passed as we were leaving the finishing line we passed Alan Jet actually I had a bit of I had a bit of banter with Alan because we are oh yeah expanded did not talk about this yeah Pataki um, he's becoming more and more a feature of our lives um, just as we were parking up, I went back to the car you'd already parked up the car this is about an hour before we started commentating and he was only just arriving because they take it a little bit more casually it's just their style it's the way yeah, they yeah. you know they do the um, same prep that we do they just I mean there's teams of people to do their prep for them haven't they how many people have Rye got there it's ridiculous and also Alan Jett when you look at the, the top this is off the top of my head the top four list of all time winners of Grand Tours dates across amazing. the world it's Edwin Merckx leading um, um, Mario Cipollini third Mark Cavendish, no, second. Mark Cavendish. Chipolin's ahead of Cavendish. Yes, he is, yeah. by the best part of six. Uh, then, so, Cipollini, Cavendish, to Merckx, no, Cipollini, yeah, okay, yeah. Cavendish, Allen. Allen Jett, fourth most winning Grand Tour stage winner of all, t- of all time. All time, of all time. I mean, and, and he, and, and he wears... I'm unfathomably impressed with him as a human anyway, but my admiration for him has just snuck up another he, ad- he, he admires you and he admires your running he, I think he admires your commentary but was reluctant to give you too many um, sort of bits of praise um, but anyway what, what happened today what was the interaction like well yeah he was parking up and I, I was able to I, and I, do you know what <laughs> it's actually true I actually I, I kind of like took our friendship thing relationship whatever it is between me and him that there's something there mate there's, there's, something there's, there's some little bit of chemistry in there I took it to the next level today, and I went. What, what sort of next well, level? I said, Ciao, Ale. All uh, oh, right, okay, that's familiar. And I said, Ale, and I said, uh, and I said, the, um, la, la, la nostra uh, posizione. Yeah, I don't know. Position. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a destra. 
non a sinistra no no the other left not a the sinistra, right sinistra no no a destra because he was heading off in the wrong direction but yeah, okay grazie and then headed off in the direction away from it because I think he had something else to do I think he knew basically he knew where the position was he didn't actually need telling in broken Italian uh, but he thanked me nonetheless and ignored my advice because I think he uh, maybe he had an appointment with the Alessandro Pataki fan club or something that he had to go and sign some autographs um, but yeah it was it was great to remember his that stage win in, in Exeter wasn't it yesterday and it just put me in mind because that was stage two yes it was stage two yes do you remember stage one the individ- the short individual time trial slightly uh, slightly longer than a prologue it was stage one in the rain in Anglesey do you remember that? I do the slightly uphill one it ended with a bit of an uphill and then a downhill and it was the downhill so the uphill with some downhill involved yeah. I do and it was quite sketchy wasn't it and the, I remember a few of the rinders, and it, I think it was there was a little. Wasn't I wouldn't call it a rebellion because they're they're generally you know um, extinguished quite quickly was, by um, by Mick Bennett, aren't they? But it was, Ross David, Downing wasn't happy, and, and and who else was there? David Miller. Who was he riding for then? Uh, Sonia Duval. Of course he was. Um, he, I forgot they just, rode the Tour of Britain. He'd just come back from his ban, and um, you know he was kind of rebuilding his career. It was a big, this big moment for him to remind himself and everyone else of what he was all about in the yellow skin suit of Sonia Duval. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a big moment. So he had an opportunity to take the first, uh, but it was pouring with rain. It was an uphill downhill uh, finish. Oh. Um, do you remember in the rain? I, I do. Yeah. I, oh, and David Miller, because he's got a history of like, yeah. l- like slightly stroppy behaviour. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, a little bit temperamental sometimes, but yeah. I think one of the significant parts, I, I don't mind me stepping across, that you've admitted, <laughs> it's, just, it's just crazy and you wouldn't believe it. Sonia Duval, Sonia is an air conditioning uh, company based in Italy, I think, uh, they make air conditioning units, but a part of the fan motor uh, is made in Anglesey. And that, do you remember, it's where the factory was on top of that climb That's and it went straight past. Yeah. That's why Dave yeah. started to kick off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a subtle way, and in a way only Dave can. It was, yeah. And also the other big issue that was hanging over the whole thing, his preparation, like Sonia Duval would, because they'd hired David, they'd, you know, big money, actually, taking a risk with David Miller um, on a big contract, and they, they needed results. And David had gone and said, look, I need, I need the best technical support, especially in the time trial discipline, like, that money can buy, uh, at least... Sonia Deval's sort of money can yeah. buy, um, so middle ranking to low, low, low to middle ranking so money. It's not as great yeah. as money was. What yeah, not, in right, real yeah, terms, but what can we afford terms. here? Yeah. Um, in real terms. And and the interesting thing about that is the um, Rob Hales was at the time, if you remember, he recently retired. How can I forget? And he was working with the uh, the aerodynamicists. Uh, in the wind tunnel at British Cycling with Chris Ball. He was also doing other freelance work on the on the, on the super lowdown as well for teams I can't mention. But yeah, he's basically well, Mr. Aerodynamics. Well, uh, full stop. Wasn't he was basically he was selling information and tech, um, not tech, but just yeah, tech. Some of the, the spare tech that had fallen off the back of a British Cycling lorry um, to Sonia Deval on the sly. I mean, I think this is. I think we can say it's it. Public, I think it's well, it will be now. It's going to be public knowledge. I mean, um, um, I think. Uh, I, I think that the seven-year statute of limitations now passed for any prosecution, so we're fine. Yeah, and one of the bits of tech that the, they worked out in wind tunnels genuinely worked was um, in a time trial position on time trial bike. This is applicable to track and road uh, with an aero helmet on. Uh, what, what made the aero helmet significantly faster was if you deployed what they what they termed a dangler. Um, there was, and they looked at the UCI regulations. Uh, they didn't specifically 
uh, uh, forbid the use of a dangler because they didn't know what a dangler was because yeah. no one had invented the dangler before Chris Baldwin and Bob Hales came, well, came up. To that, previous to that, there was, it was an ailment of some sort, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah quite similar to um, botulism and scabies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same symptoms, a rash, a, a temperature, and, um, and uh, eventually delirium. Yeah, and, and ultimately death. Yeah, that's what the dangler would do to you. Um, but this dangler, this aerodynamic dangler was like a... You know, an anglerfish has that kind of little ball, bit of like little a, ball. It's like a yeah, little ball in front of its face with a little light on it. So it's like it was like a little bit of um uh, a uh, what do you call those things um clothes hanger. Yep. With it like effectively a ping pong ball. In fact, it was a an adapted some, some ping pong jet, ball. Some jets have them, don't they? Yes, uh, just off the front. So they attached yeah. they attached a ping pong ball via a coat hanger that just dangled about six inches in front of the aero helmet to break the. To break the flow of yeah. air, aerodynamic wind flow thing and um, cut through the air slightly faster. And David Miller wanted to race with a with a dangler. I mean, historic, right up there potentially with the the use of tri bars by Greg LeMond in 1989. Yeah, and Chris Boardman's super low position back in the day as well. A huge moment in Francesco Moses' uh, enormous disc, rear disc wheel for the out record. But Mick 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 got wind that this is going to happen. He prevented it from that. Yeah, and it all kicked <sighs> off. Do you remember? I do because. Again, bless Carol. I mean, she's been there for years, and I and I, was, I said, she said, Matt, because I'm, you know, I wasn't obviously I was retired then. But she said, Matt, what do you think about this dangler? And I'm like, I'm just not. I'll be honest, Carol, I'm not asked. Uh, it's what I, what I said to her, uh, and but she and she said, well, do you know, I quite like Dave, and she said, this could be important for the race. Yeah. You could get extra exposure for the race. You know, it's a, a outside of cycling. Uh, so so Carol, yeah. she couldn't tell Mick that Ned. But she was she was behind Dave on this one. But she was, but I mean, ultimately, Dave he didn't get his wish, no. and he, he, to be honest, he flounced it a little bit, and he didn't even wear a skin suit. In fact, he wore um, corduroy trousers instead, just you know, rolled up. It looked good though, didn't it? Right, he looked great. He, um, yeah, he wore corduroy trousers and a, uh, a kind of um, paisley shirt. Oh, um, do you? Do you know, you've talked about Alan Jett and he and he's and he's running. I forgot to tell, tell you this. I mean, Alan stayed around for a couple of days after after the TLB finished, um, and he's always liked to do jogging as, as a form of recovery. Quite often, riders like to swim. Others like to ride their bikes. Others like to just rest. Alan liked to go jogging, yeah. and you know the people. <sighs> Halesy was telling me, and Halesy took some photos. He sold that bit of kit that Dave wasn't allowed to use to Alan, who basically used it in running. In running. <laughs> Attached to his sweatband. Attached to his sweatband, and um, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, but we, we, I mean, Halesy was laughing all the way at the bank, wouldn't he? Yeah. But Alan, bless him, yeah. took it seriously, and uh, but phew, yeah. Alan, yeah, well, so Dave didn't win the um, day. He finished last, stone last. Um, but so the win and the first uh, leaders' jersey of that edition of the Tour of Britain after the first. Stage one, the time trial in Anglesey, Anglesey. the uppy downy one that finished yeah. on the descent. Yeah. That's three k long, wasn't it? Um, yeah. In the end, was uh, was Mark Cavendish, and he's never looked back since, has he? 